take time away from my business? If only I could. Whenever anyone asks a small business owner about taking a vacation, that's the normal response. And maybe you've said this to yourself time and again. In this podcast, Gail talks with Mike Michalowicz, entrepreneur, speaker, and author of several books, including his latest one, Clockwork, Design Your Business to Run Itself. Mike and Gail discuss some of the concepts in his new revised and expanded edition of the book, including the idea of entrepreneurial poverty. By the end of the book, you'll understand the benefits of taking a step back from your business. Well, Mike, I am so excited to be talking to you today about your upgraded clockwork book. And I've read all your books multiple times. And I am so excited to share this because this is such a great book. And it's a good read for anybody that is at any stage of their business. There is great information in here that's going to help them with their business. So awesome job. Thank you. Yeah, I think this is the best work of my life to this point. I very proud of this work and the potential impact that it can have. So many people struggle with financial freedom, and that's why I wrote Profit First. But the, but the bigger gap is time freedom. The the sacrifices we make are not necessary. The compromising our children or our family or just our personal lives and experiencing it to its fullest isn't necessary. And ironically, if you if you can do that, when you when you do do that, the business as a result will thrive. And that's why I wanted to share not just how to do that, but the impact people will experience in a positive way for their business by actually removing themselves in part from the business. Well, I'm anxious to talk about it. And of course, when I first read the first round of the book, uh, that was before I took my first sabbatical. So I took my first sabbatical last year and it was for six weeks. Yes, It terrified my team, but I told them, I gave them about 15 months warning. I said, it's coming, it's Mm -hmm. coming is coming. And they, they kept getting nervous about it. But in the end, it was a really good thing for the company. And I watched my team step up. So I, I, I absolutely love that. And I love your last chapter because it really goes into the reason why you need to have that time off and, and away from your business. So let's kind of go back to the beginning and let's talk about one of the stories that you had in your book about Jason uh, Barker. Parker, yeah. Yes. So go ahead and share with that story about. Yeah, I actually, it's funny. I, I, so I have the uh, the galley in front of me, and so I'll share. It's the first time ever I've included a picture in a book. So there's his picture. Ah, and wonderful. Holding a sign for people watching the video or not. He's the sign says, "Thank you, Mike Michalowicz." He's sitting on an airplane uh, about to take off. Here's why I included his story. You know, sixty percent of this book is a new book. Uh, I, I tore it down to the foundation. core essence and rebuilt the book around it. And his story was the most compelling to me. And uh, he, he read the original clockwork. He owns a detailing business and his friends for the last 10 or 15 years have been gathering um, for a football game. They're all alumni. I think it was of Oklahoma state or Oregon state, something like that, but they travel around to the away games once a year as a group. And Jason's that guy who cancels last minute every single time. I'm in and then he's out. And his justification, rightfully so, is the business needs him because he's working in his business. When he deployed clockwork, he was able to leave. This is a picture he took going on his first trip with his friends and he was gonna spend five days with them. But the story didn't go the way he anticipated. There's a horrific component, but also a great call to action. He went on this trip, 
on the fifth day after they did all their fanfare and spending time together and just really connecting again, his best friend from college was at the table of uh, having breakfast and passed away at the table, had a massive heart attack, the wow. shock of everybody. Yeah. And these, these are young you know, people. Yeah. It's terrifying. And, um, Jason went home and he's gone through his mourning process and, you know, and all that. And he sent, he looked at this picture and said, Oh my gosh, I have to send this to Mike. He said, I'm sending it to you. Not because it was a celebration of me not being there for my business, not needing to be there for my business. It's a celebration that I could be there for my best friend's final days of his life. Wow. I was like, Oh, wow. That's, that's the other part I wasn't thinking about. It's not just about giving our business the freedom to run itself. It's not just about your employees, Gail, stepping up and taking ownership in the business and then being empowered. It's also allowing us to live a full life and to participate in those elements of life that come once in a lifetime. I subsequently dedicated the book to Jason. I don't know him past a few email exchanges and one interview I did with him after he sent me this email. We're not friends, but I dedicated this book to him because he inspired me. In fact, the very end of the book, one more picture. That I included, and that's me with my college friends. That's me there. Uh, that's my freshman year roommate and my two hallmates. And I devoted or dedicated once a year to see my college friends uh, and to be the organizer. No one wants to do that, but I had the time to do it because of my business freedom. And I'll organize this and be with them. And sure enough, two months from now, we're getting together yet again um, just to spend time together. I don't want to miss their lives. I love that. Well, I also love your mantra, which is eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. I can't get it out. <laughs> it's, a tough, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. Yeah, it's a good one. So what are three of the top symptoms of that? So, yeah. So the reason I made that is because I'm an entrepreneur too. I've been one my entire life. Today, I'm a shareholder in six small businesses, mm-hmm. five, five small businesses. And what the, the symptoms were for me in the beginning were multiple forms of poverty. The number one was what we just addressed is time poverty. We, we see ourselves as starting a business and we'll have personal freedom, do what I want, when I want. And then there's this reality on the other side of the chasm that is I'm beholden to my business. It's a hustle and grind mentality. It's day-to-day survival. So part of entrepreneurial poverty is closing that gap. The next one is financial poverty. I want financial freedom. I want to never worry about bills. I never want to uh, have to worry about any of my finances then the reality is check-to-check survival, constant panic. Uh, another symptom is soulful poverty. I want to be doing something that's big and important to the world. But many business owners placate to the immediate customer need. And while they're serving customers, they fall out of love with their own business. They actually loathe their own business. It's another gap. So, and there's many symptoms. There's dozens and dozens of forms of entrepreneurial poverty. I've lived them. Every book I write is to resolve one gap in poverty. That Clockwork Revising Expanded is for that time poverty component. And I commit to myself not to live those. I write these books and research these books because I need these solutions for myself. And when I find them, I hopefully I can provide them to other people that can benefit from them too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think for all of us that teach or coach or write or anything, that part of the job is for us to resolve those issues that we have for ourselves. So we do that in the process of trying to help other people, but we're also helping ourselves. So That's I right. love that. Yeah. Okay. So besides just helping the owners, let's talk about the employees because you have some strategies and stories in this newer version. And I'd love to know more about that. Really excited about this. The feedback I got from the first version of Clockwork was 
I, the owner, am using these strategies, but I don't want to tell my employee to read this book because it's all about my selfish gains. And that's not what it's about. But what owners were reading was, this is how I get free from the business, but now they're enslaved to it. And that was never the intention. In fact, you can take this to a level where your employees can have the ultimate freedom too. It's something I explore in this book. But the first step is educating the employees on their roles and responsibility to elevating a business. So in every chapter of this book, uh, there is a section exclusively for the employee of a clock working business and what they can do to participate. They also gain insights onto what the owner's doing. To your point, when you left, you gave 15 months notice, hey, I'm going on this sabbatical. I'm sure it wasn't you saying, I'm heading out of town so I can you know, drink Coronas on the beach and you guys work your butts off. I suspect it was, I entrust you with this business so much that I feel empowered to leave. Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea is the, we need a vacation for sure. But more importantly, the business needs a vacation from us. And the employees can step up into an environment where they can experience leadership like they never have before. And so that's why I included those sections so employees can start to learn how to expand themselves in a clockworked business. I love that. And in fact, this is going to be an annual event that I go every single year. Perfect. The Saturday before Thanksgiving all the way till the 2nd of January. So Oh, we're in a very similar schedule. I take December 7th to January 7th every year. Awesome. Plus last year I did nine, nine weeks, not consecutive. I did a, a four weeker and then a two and a two and a two, but um, that's fantastic. It's fantastic. I'm shooting for 12 next year. So that's my, my goal. So I'll do, um, I have what I call fifth week and my fifth week is the fifth Monday of the month. If there are five Mondays, that week is a week off. Oh, that's cool. That's and then cool. I added another week on that. So uh, at least three times a year, six weeks there, and then six weeks at the end of the year, I get 12 weeks off. Uh, but I work the rest of the time. So it's okay. Yeah, it's more than okay. I would say it's necessary. I think most owners feel that if I'm not hustling and grinding, I'm not demonstrating to my colleagues what work ethics like, uh, and they'll think less of me. But again, this is an empowerment strategy. So it, it's it's necessary. And the thing is, if you don't schedule that vacation, Gail, if I don't schedule it, it's still going to happen for us unexpectedly. Exactly. That's when there's a, there's a health scare or some other concern we need to address. And if the business isn't prepared for that disruption, we're in real trouble. What you're doing is arming the business. Every time you leave, the business needs to get stronger in your absence. And therefore, if those emergencies do happen, the business is going to run unabated. Yes, I agree. And I know you've used this in your business. So talk about that. What was the impact for your business? Yeah, so the big realization. So the first time I took my first four-week vacation, and there's a reason why it's four weeks. Most businesses experience a business in four-week cycles, an entire month, getting clients, uh, employees, work issues, uh, closing out the accounting. Um, If you can do four weeks or longer, you've proven that the business can run without you into perpetuity in most businesses. The first one I did was five years ago, and I went on a free vacation. And uh, at first, I was afraid my employees wouldn't be receptive to it. But then, once we started talking about empowerment, they're more than receptive. They were excited. They wanted to show me what they could do. But the other thing that I didn't anticipate was my own big fat ego. My God, I was away on my first vacation. I went to Australia. I was in Perth specifically, ah, I remember. Wonderful. I'm in, I'm in Australia around the other side of the planet. I'm 12 hours away. And on I don't know, the third or fourth day, there's not a single email that came to me. No questions, no business stuff at all. And I start sitting there. I'm like, one of two things happened. 
the business has just vanished, imploded. That's unlikely in four days, or they don't need me. And then I felt that one tear, it was like a movie shot. You could have zoomed in the one tear drips down. I'm like, they don't need me. (laughs) And my big fat ego, I started to reinsert myself in the business. I started emailing in questions. I, I started saying, hey, I need a report on this and that. I started disrupting the business. When I came back and we did a debrief, the number one feedback that I heard was, Mike, you're a good guy, but you didn't really trust us because you were demonstrating through your actions you didn't. I was like, oh my gosh. I thought a business owner needs to be a superhero. You and I can swoop in and fix anything. That's a bad move. We should reframe ourselves as super visionaries. Our goal is to have a vision for the future and organize, choreograph the resources around us, people, the technology, clients, the vendors, to achieve that outcome. If we are doing work, if an entrepreneur is doing work, they are stealing jobs from people who want to do work. The number one job an entrepreneur has is to be a creator of jobs. And that's what I've learned during my four-week vacations. I love that. I love that. Well, I need to get rid of some more jobs then. <laughs> yeah. And listen, my you own. do. Sure. You do. The more jobs you get rid of for yeah. yourself, the more you're empowering other people. There mm-hmm. was a study came out. I don't know if you know this, only 14% of the world population ever starts an organization and only 20% is ever successful at it. That means 3% of the population is in your position, Gail. 3%. You're the weirdo. I'm the weirdo, which also means 97, 97% of the world population is looking for a good job with a good company. I know that's what you've created. That's what my intention is to create. And our job, therefore, is to provide that opportunity to the people who desire to work for a good company. So we got to stop doing the job because we're stealing it. We got to start providing the job. I love that. I love that. Okay. So you had another great story in here about Michael Gerber and meeting him and realizing that efficiency isn't the switch. So can you share that? Yeah. He notably is an eccentric dude. Uh, we, we shared a main stage in Mexico uh, many years back. And afterwards uh, he, I, and some other folks went out for dinner and we're out for dinner and, uh, we start talking about E-Myth. I think one of the most important foundational reads for any entrepreneur is E-Myth. And um, I said, there's one challenge I've observed, and, and he acknowledged that many people who read E-Myth or transition, want to transition from working in the business as reports to on the business, think it's a switch. Like if we simply work in the business long enough that one day, all of a sudden the business is running itself. What I've concluded and why he endorsed this was that business transition for the ownership for the owner, is not from one day you're in and you switch to on. It's not a light switch. It's a throttle. We slowly must extract ourselves. The four vacations, one part of it, and perhaps even when you're away, you notice that some things were broken or didn't run as efficiently without you. Those are the things that now we need to set out to fix. So the next four vacation, it runs more smoothly. We have to look at the work we're doing and constantly evaluate it and say, what do we remove ourselves from doing? Transitioning to a business that runs itself could take years. It's taken me five years to get where I am. It was around year number four where I came to the point where this business doesn't need me. I don't even need to write books. I have other co-authors, derivative authors who are writing books. Uh, I don't have to do speeches. I have about 15 people trained on my speeches. So I got to the point where the business can generate revenue and run in my absence. Then, and this is the beauty, as the shareholder of a business, I own the equity. I have the right to vote myself back in in a job that gives me joy. I believe one of the risks people run when they read clockwork is like, oh my gosh, the business doesn't need me. I have nothing to do in my life. Some of us just love the work component. I sure as heck do. So I decided there's three things I love to do. I love to be a spokesperson. That's what we're doing now. I love to be an author. 
I write as writing this morning. I'm, I'll be writing this afternoon. And I love being the office cheerleader. I love seeing my team and just acknowledging how great they are and how much I value them. And so that's the three things I do for my business now. Love that. That is so great. I love this other comment that you made in here. And I, I want to talk about this because this is something that's not very clear to a lot of people that there's a difference between growing and scaling a business. So talk to me about that. So I hear all the time from entrepreneurs, I'm scaling my business, I'm scaling my business. My response is bullshit. You're not, <laughs> you're not. Here's the simple definition. Growing a business is doing more to achieve more. Scaling a business is doing less to achieve more. Most entrepreneurs double down. They hustle and they grind. They work harder and the business will grow until all the resources are tapped out. Can't work more than these 12 hour days. I'm exhausted. I've skipped yet another family function or seeing my kids because I had to work. And that's where you're hitting this upper limit. Scaling is where you use leverage. It's where you use other people's talents, where it's your colleagues, your employees, your vendors, contractors. It's where you bring in technology, machinery, things that can amplify the output. I think the question we got to ask ourselves constantly is, well, there's a couple of questions. One is, how do I double my output with half the input? And uh, that's very hard to comprehend and you probably won't do it immediately, but you'll start chipping away at that. How do I double what I'm doing, revenue, serving clients, whatever, with half of the effort required for me and the company? You'll find the shortcuts to get your work your way there. The other one is to stop asking ourselves, how do I get this done? And simply start asking who will get this done? We have to get in that delegation mindset out of taking on more work ourselves and constantly looking to delegate. Those are the two big things that separate scaling from growing. I totally agree with that. And I think that I have seen more people get that confused, as you said, and I see them saying that all the time. They'll say, oh, I'm scaling my business. Well, you're right. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, listen, it's a sexy term, but it's misleading. Yeah. Of course, I love that. And going next to that is organizational efficiency over productivity. So let's talk about that. What's the difference yeah. between those two? When I wrote the original book, I the first thing I set out to do was understand productivity. I interviewed uh, one of the big authorities in the productivity space. His name's Chris. And I met with him. And uh, I sit down and say, hey, Chris, what's the key to productivity? And he kind of looked around, like seeking, making sure no one's listening in and said, productivity is crap. And I'm like, what? Hold on, you're the productivity expert. He's like, yeah, but here's the problem. As we get more productive, we have a stack of work we need to achieve. Productivity allows us to compress time. We get the same stuff done in less time. But what happens is on top of that, we open a free time gap. So what do we do? We pack oh. on more work and we compress it down. We become impacted with work. We stuff in so much. God forbid there's one problem, one wrinkle, everything's out the window. We become impacted. Organizational efficiency is where we coordinate resources to get the most out of resources. People are resources, technology's resources. It's optimizing what people are talented at. I hate doing invoicing, and therefore I assumed no one on this planet likes to do invoicing because we all know it sucks until we hired Aaron. And Aaron's like, I love doing invoice. I love the process. I love crunching the numbers. I was convinced no one wants to wash toilets. That's the worst job ever. Therefore, as the owner, I got to step up and do it until Amy came on board. And she's like, I just want mind-numbing work. I got so much shit going on at home. 
I just want to come in for two, three hours a day and do something that I don't have to think just so I don't think. And she loves maintaining the office and doing other projects. So don't be fearful of taking on more work and becoming more productive. You're impacting yourself. Instead, Mm -hmm. look to leverage the resources of your organization, maximize what people get joy out of, give them those assignments, and you'll start achieving organizational efficiency. Mm, Great. Love that. Okay. So why is fear a massive catalyst for change? Well, fear is a massive catalyst because, you know, Jason Barker is a great example. Um, after I sent, he sent me that email because uh, his friend passed away and, and he was grateful that he was able to be there. He's been there for other events. His wife uh, shockingly had an uh, appendix situation um, where, you know, it's with minutes to go, you got to race to the hospital and get this removed. And he's like, normally I couldn't leave the shop. And if I did, and I was there with my wife, I'd still be working in the waiting room. He's like, I was there and I was able to be calm and a a presence, an emotional presence for my wife as she went through this scary and and very successful outcome, but scary situation. That's what we're looking to do. We're looking to build um, these efficiencies uh, that that we don't have to worry about tragedy or, or, or struggles. Fear is a great motivator because if we've experienced in the past, it's an indicator that we don't want to replicate that. So use that, what's, what's hurt you in the past or burned you in the past, to say, I won't allow that to happen again in the future. Some variant of this will present itself. How do you get passed by it? And you get past or you pass by it or go through it with an efficient business. Mm. Okay, that's great. Well, let's talk about the survival trap. You have mentioned that um, earlier in the conversation. And how do we get treat, uh, free of that? Yeah, survival trap's real simple. Wherever we are today in our business, um, if we're feeling pressure, uh, there's a problem, or maybe there's an opportunity. If we take an action to grab the opportunity or to avoid that problem, we move somewhere. Problem is most businesses are responding to the moment and not considerate of the future. So if you drew the letter A on a piece of paper and drew arrows going away from it, any arrow in any direction gives you relief because you're out of A, the apparent problems you're having. But if you want to move to point B, now you draw point B in the bottom left corner of that piece of paper, none of those arrows may be pointing to B. And so we continue this trap of just moving to the moment. What we need to do is first define where the future is of our business, where we want to go, and then act very deliberately with that. Any consideration that comes up, the first question we should say is, is this moving me toward point B? Not, I got to correct where that arrow is pointing before taking action. Okay, great. Well, I love this too. And we talked about vacation at the beginning and sabbatical or whatever, but you created a simple strategy to make business run itself. And you, you said it was about vacation. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So what I challenge anyone listening to this podcast right now, Gail, is go on your calendar, pick a mark 18 months out, maybe 24 months. So I'm giving you a year and a half to two years, block out four consecutive weeks right now on your calendar. The reason you need to do this is you're going to have a little bit of a proverbial heart attack. If you do, and I think you will, like, I'm going to be gone. I can't do that. That is your subconscious telling you, you have problems with your business right now. There's a flaw, the fact that you can't do this. Then you have that realization, you start building toward it. When you leave for your first work vacation, it's not going to be perfect, but your team will be empowered. And listen, you may be a team of one right now. Maybe it's a couple of virtual people, maybe some technology. That can be empowered too. You don't have to have some massive business. In fact, the sooner you start, the better. So your team will be empowered. But also when you leave and you come back, things won't, some things won't work. There's going to be bumps and bruises. 
Those are the things you need to fix. So it's a great regular recurring annual thing that we'll start doing just so we can keep testing our business and improving our business. Great. Well, you also talked about refining your customer base too. And I think that's important to talk about. Um, you have a crush and cringe analysis. I like that. <laughs> yeah. This came out of manufacturing principles. I, I believe all businesses ultimately are manufacturers. You are, I am. Sure. We manufacture an outcome. We create an outcome. We take raw goods, ideas, and, and bring it to an outcome. Traditional manufacturing takes raw materials and makes a product. The lesson for manufacturing is the fewer variables, the more consistent the quality of output and the higher the quality can be. The more variety of customers we serve with a variety of needs, the harder it is to serve them. We have to dilute ourselves. So by reducing our customer set to one consistent need, we reduce our variability and our quality skyrockets. One quick way to get there is look at your client list. I, I suggest sort them by revenue. People pay you the most or demonstrating they value the most. Secondly, match it up to what's called a crush cringe. Do you love this customer instinctually or do you not so much? But then that's a cringe. The crushes are the ones we want to amplify. So circle highest paying customers who you love and the cringes cross them off the list. I'm not saying we're firing them yet, but we're going to start honing in on those best customers. Once you know who those best customers are, interview them, learn where they congregate, where they go, find more customers like, with, like them and slowly get rid of those cringe customers. What will happen is you're going to start reducing the variability in your offering. You're going to be serving customers that you enjoy. So naturally, you'll elevate your service and you'll less problems because there's less variability. Great. Well, I love this next thing that we're going to talk about, which is the 4D mix. And I think that is something that I loved your percentages on this. And I found it really fascinating yes. to think about it for myself and think, oh, wow, I, I need to work on this. So I'll give you the super speed uh, version. I got sure. split in about 60 seconds, unfortunately. Okay. I'm doing this so the 4D mix is this. Businesses have four stages they need to serve. Doing activities, deciding about activities, delegating, and designing. Doing is the work that we deliver to our clients. Deciding is a stage where a leader or a business owner makes decisions for other people, but it's a trap. We become this Hindu goddess, Kali, with eight arms, where one mind is considering what everyone needs to do, and we start task rabbiting people. If your business gets to the point where you, you feel you can't get any work done because you have to tell everyone else what to do, you're in the deciding phase. We need to move you to the, the delegation phase, which is not the assignment of tasks. Many people think it is. Delegating is the assignment of outcomes. It's where we advise our team members what we're expecting from them, we come to agreement on them, but we empower them to navigate the way to get there. When there's problems, it's up to them to decide how to navigate around it, not us. And that elevates us as business owners to the highest level, which is designing. Designing is where we have strategic thought. Where's the excellent map we want to take this business? How are we going to navigate there? And we're constantly thinking. At the end of the day, a CEO, a real CEO, they get paid the big bucks for making three, maybe four important decisions per year. That's what strategic thought is. Wow, that is so awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know you need to dash. Yeah. And uh, congratulations on, again, another fabulous book. Thanks for being here. Yeah, this has been a joy. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. We can't thank Mike Michalowicz enough for joining us on the podcast. He is one of many authors whose books we just can't get enough of. Reach out to us on social media and let us know what other great authors you'd love to hear on the podcast. In the next episode, we'll be talking to Lee Hirschberg, CEO of Design Edge, and learning about a world with open communication between designers and manufacturers.